Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. If you were to take throughout all of the pages of Holy Writ and conclude the main theme of God's Word, it's that God gets all, not most, all the glory. He shares none of His glory. No flesh will glory in His presence. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Everything you experience in life is an opportunity to bring glory to God. As Job trudged through trial after trial, he never stopped believing that. As Pastor J.D. explains in today's message, when you're confronted with hardships, you have reason for hope. You may not have the strength to go on, but God will provide all the strength you need. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 32 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Tonight, we continue in our study through the book of Job. Verse 1, chapter 32. So these three men ceased answering Job, speaking of Job's, as I refer to them, so-called friends, because, and here's the reason, interesting, he was righteous in his own eyes. That's another way of saying you can't tell him anything. Uh, He knows it all. And uh, he's just self-righteous, wise in his own eyes, so... What more is there to say? He's not going to heed it anyway. Verse 2. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. In other words, he had maintained and justified his innocence at the expense of God's. And that apparently is the problem that this Elihu has with Job and all that he has heretofore said. And not only Job, but as we're going to read in verse 3, also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused. Why? Because... They had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. So it seems that this Elihu is of the opinion that even these friends, so-called of Job's, did not answer correctly in all that they said against Job in condemning Job. Now verse 4. Because they were years older than he, We don't know how much older they were than this man. We can assume from the text that he's a young man, uh, and that's what we're told. But because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. Again, this is a, a cultural dynamic in the sense that when you're in the presence of elders and you're the younger... You don't talk. You don't speak a word. 
They are the elders. And so I guess you could say to his credit, he waited to speak to Job. And boy, is he. Verse 5, when Elhu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So apparently he's a very angry young man. So verse 6, Elhu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. <laughs> Come here, boy. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> I'm young, and you guys are really old. Okay. Therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. Well, apparently, uh, he's going to declare his opinion to them now. So, verse 7, I said, Age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. And then verse 9, Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. We're not off to a very good start here, are we? <laughs> verse 10, Therefore I say, listen to me. I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, verse 11, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you. And surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words. Now, there's an interesting uh, detail here that's not so easily seen at first read because we're told here that Obviously, this guy had to be there throughout this whole thing, which means that it wasn't just Job sitting there on this ash heap and these three so-called friends. There were others that were there present. It just seems that only these three so-called friends spoke, as did Job. But obviously, this man and others were in earshot. And by the way, uh, when Job was describing in even graphic detail about how these men were making a mockery of him and ridiculing him, men who once very much respected him, but now presumably because the curse of God was on his life, he was the mockery, the laughing stock of the town, so to speak, which implies that there were a really a crowd of spectators that were uh, just beholding this whole spectacle play out. So, and among them was this young man that we're hearing from tonight. So verse 13, he continues, Lest you say, we have found wisdom, God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. They are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion. Okay, already. <laughs> For I am full of words. Yes, you are, verse 18, aren't you? The spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. 
It is ready to burst like new wineskins. I need to vent. I can't, I can't keep it in anymore. I can't keep my mouth shut anymore. I will speak, verse 20, that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, <laughs> else my maker would soon take me away. Well, it seems that uh, he wants to flatter himself. He wants to listen to himself. This is one of those guys that likes to hear himself talk. Uh, by the way, this chapter contains what I see as his introduction. He has said nothing yet, except I'm going to speak now. And listen to me, because now I'm going to speak. He just kind of says the same thing over and over again, just saying over and over again the very same thing that he just got done saying over and over again, like I am right now. <laughs> I probably need to warn you that this is only the beginning of this man's self-flattering speech. Uh, those of you who read ahead to stay ahead probably already realize that he's going to rant on for the next five chapters. On and on and on. And in so doing, he will actually end up speaking longer than anyone else in the entire book of Job, including God himself. Yeah, how's that one? And, get this, it's not until, thankfully, God finally intervenes that this young whippersnapper, if I can call him that, is finally silenced. G. Campbell Morgan said this, Job never had opportunity to answer him. God took notice of him except to interrupt him. God took no notice of him except to interrupt him. And this is interesting, by the way, when we get to about, I think it's chapter 38, God never responds to anyone. He never responds to this guy. He never responds to Job's three so-called friends. He does rebuke them, but he does not in any way respond to them or answer them. And he's finally going to break into the scene, and not a moment too soon. So tonight as I was getting ready to come and uh, teach this chapter, I remembered this commentator, and I just last minute decided to share it with you. It's just too good, and you already see on the screen. Listen to what he said. This is, this is too good. The fact remains that he, speaking of Elhu, really is an astonishingly pompous little windbag. <laughs> he takes the entire first chapter, for example, plus portions of the second, simply to clear his throat and announce that he has something to say. The whole chapter, the, the, the last chapter, chapter 32, and as we get into chapter 33 now, he's still going to do the same thing. Listen to me, I'm about to speak. Okay, speak already. Put us out of our misery. Just get this over with, all right? Verse 1, chapter 33. <laughs> but please, Job, hear my speech. I can just see Job rolling his eyes back in his head, right? And listen to all my words. Do I have a choice? <laughs> 
Verse 2. Now, I open my mouth. Well, (laughs) my tongue speaks in my mouth. Are you kidding me? Come on already. Verse 3. My words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit, verse 4, of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. If you can answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly, I am... (laughs) I'm sorry. I am as your spokesman before God. Who does this little whippersnapper (laughs) think he is? I am your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. Surely, verse 8, you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent. There is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. Look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. For God may speak in one way or another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon him while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed, and with strong pain in many of his bones, so that his life abhors bread, and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones stick out, which once were not seen. I wonder who he's referring to here. Verse 22, yes, yes, his soul draws near the pit, and his life to the executioners. If there is a messenger for him, verse 23, a mediator, interesting, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. By the way, verses 22 through basically 25, clearly referring to our mediator, Jesus the Christ. Verse 26, he shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy for he restores to man his righteousness. Then he looks at man and says, I have sinned and perverted what is right, and it did not profit me. Well, now he's starting to make a little bit of sense here. Verse 28, he will redeem his soul from going down to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. Give ear, Job, 
listen to me. Hold your peace and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. That presupposes that Job would be able to get a word in edgewise, which he won't, by the way. Answer me, speak, for I desire to justify you. I don't know about that. If not, listen to me, hold your peace, and (laughs) I will teach you wisdom. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, listen, I, I have to say that in all fairness, again, very interesting for a number of reasons. He, he is actually sort of right. I mean, what he says is true. I mean, he's right in the sense that God does oftentimes deem it necessary to allow suffering into our lives for a purpose and Usually that purpose is to bring a man to repentance, to deliverance. But the problem with his argument is that it's textbook in that he's saying the right thing in the wrong way and certainly to the wrong man because that's not the case with Job. Yes, Job is suffering, but not for the reasons that he contends. Certainly God has allowed this suffering into Job's life and it does bring up the often asked question of why. And this is a biggie. I remember a number of years ago I did a series, it was in Romans, on the problem of Christian suffering. And it was a big, big topic to tackle. And I do want to tonight uh, sort of revisit this issue of why it is that sometimes God will deem it necessary to allow us as his people to go through times of great pain and suffering. I'm, I'm learning in my walk with the Lord that there is always a purpose for God allowing suffering. And God will never allow suffering into our lives unless in the end it's for his glory and our good. And ultimately, that is the purpose. If you were to take throughout all of the pages of Holy Writ and conclude the main theme of God's word, it's that God gets all, not most, all the glory. He shares none of his glory. No flesh will glory in his presence. With Job, as we're going to see at the end, who gets all the glory at the end of this whole saga, this whole experience of unspeakable suffering, God gets the glory. Is it for Job's good? Oh, you better believe it is. In the end, it's for Job's good and for God's glory. But I want to share with you, and please know that this is in no way exhaustive, but I do want to offer at least an explanation and and share with you some of the things that I'm learning in my life, some of the things that God has really ministered to me and many of the trials that uh, I've experienced and, and the why behind the what 
of those trials and that suffering and that difficulty. I I hope this isn't too um, uh, clever or cute, but God will allow suffering to correct us, to protect us, to direct us, and to perfect us. Again, not exhaustive, but usually it's for one of those reasons. Sometimes it's just for the sole purpose of correcting us. He he chastises those, he corrects those, and sometimes we get a spanking. I mean, let's, you know, be honest about it. Sometimes God has to spank us and discipline us and correct us and chastise us. And the instrument that he uses to do that is oftentimes the suffering and the difficulty and the pain and the hardship. Sometimes he allows suffering to protect us. I think of that account when Jesus has, and he's sort of in a rush, and it's kind of interesting because in Luke's gospel, uh, we have this detail uh, where he writes that immediately, that's the word, immediately Jesus gets the disciples into the boat, sends them onto the Sea of Galilee, and says to them, I will meet you on the other side. And what happens when they're right smack in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, as is often the case, just with the climate, and you can just have out of nowhere this storm that can hit, and that's exactly what happened. And it is a perilous storm. It is a life and death storm out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and it's the account when Jesus comes and they're terrified. And Peter realizes it's him and says, bid me come. And Peter gets up out of the boat and walks on water until, of course, he takes his eyes off the Lord. And then he, he prays that famous three-word prayer, which gives me great hope. Lord, save me. It gives me great hope because it encourages me that God answers three-word prayers. <laughs> it's been said it's not the length of the prayer, it's the strength of the prayer which, by the way, does not apply to sermons. It's not, does not apply to sermons. Okay, just so we're clear, just saying. So what does the Lord do? The Lord saves him from drowning, and they make it to the other side. Now, what's my point? Well, this is interesting. Why was Jesus uh, so urgent and wanting to immediately get them into that boat and onto the Sea of Galilee knowing that there was going to be a storm. You don't think that, don't think for a second, Jesus didn't know that he was sending them into this storm. Why would he do that? Oh, to protect them from a greater storm had they stayed. Job's life shifted radically and quickly from prosperity to despair, giving him every reason to complain and turn away from God. Yet Job kept his focus on his creator, telling us in chapter 1, verse 21, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not easy to praise the Lord when everything we know falls apart. But as we'll continue to learn from Job, God has a much better and greater plan than we can even comprehend. God will bring us through every trial and tragedy we face and is our ultimate source of comfort and strength. Have you discovered the powerful love of God in your life? 
If you'd like to know more about this relationship, we have a great guide for you at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. Just click on the New Believers link at the top of the page. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family, one that follows God with all their hearts and live by His Word, and we'll provide you with support as you walk this journey of faith. If you're in the area, why not join us at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe? We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And again on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for a time of fellowship, worship, and studying the Bible. We'd love to have you join us. You can find location information through our website. That address again is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today, but we want to thank you for listening. Be sure to join Pastor J.D. next time as he continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Job, right here on In Spirit and Truth.